morning and I would like to welcome every one of us to the presence of the Lord this morning. Uh, I want to thank God for everyone that is joining us wherever you are based. Whether you are within the city of Melbourne or even outside the city. Or maybe you're watching from um, the North America. Or you're watching from Africa. Or you're watching from, you know, wherever you are based. Or from the Pacific. Papua New Guinea, you are welcome. And I just want to thank God for you. And I want to welcome you specially. You didn't come here by accident. The Lord brought you. And you will encounter him afresh and anew. And uh, I would like to also invite us to join the prayer movement that God has started with us. We've been meeting for the past two and a half weeks now, every morning, Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. to pray. And God has been doing some wonderful things. If you have not been joining, you have been missing. You have been missing out. And I don't want you to miss out. Uh, be part of it. Yeah, somebody said, but 5 a.m. is too early. I want to reassure you, without sacrifice, you will not experience the power of God in the way you desire to experience it. Sacrifice attracts presence and power. And you can't deny, we can't deny the fact that we need the power of God more than ever before. In our lives, in our circumstances, in our situations, uh, you know, in, in this dispensation. We need the power of God more than ever before. You join the prayer movement. You join the prayer time. Yes, if it will cause a little bit of inconvenience, a lifetime of prosperity, breakthrough, turnarounds is far, far worth just a few minutes or hours of inconvenience. So be part of it. The link for this week will be out at the end of today so that you can get the link. 5 a.m. tomorrow, be there. I will be there. But most importantly, God will be there so that we can push, pray together, push together in the spirit. And I want to say something. Something is already started happening. Something good is already happening. Something greater is even in store for us, even as we pray. At the beginning of this prayer, when we started on the 22nd of September, something happened in the city of Melbourne. We had an earthquake here, 5.9, you know, 5.9 magnitude that has never been experienced in Melbourne before. And there was no single death. There was no single destruction. And just this last weekend, Bali in Thailand had an earthquake of magnitude 4.8. And I have it here before me, killing a number of people, injuring a number of people. And the deadly tremor destroys dozens of homes in the Indonesian tourist island, Bali. You know, and we had 5.9 here. And it didn't destroy the entire landscape. And nobody died. Nobody perished. But, you know, they had 4.8. Look at the wanton destruction, devastation that was wrought. Uh, we need to be very, very grateful. And just again on Friday, there was even another situation here whereby 
you know, the reports came to me where a whole street was filled with hail, hailstones, and not even just that. Somebody said at, at her backyard, there were so many, the, the entire backyard was filled with hailstones. They were so white, looking like snow. And suddenly I'm just thinking that, hmm, when the unusual start to happen in this manner, then start to expect the impossible. That when the unusual start to happen, God is about to do something remarkable. He's about to do something impossible. I don't want you to miss out. Our heart goes to people who lost their lives in, in Bali, in Indonesia, North Island. And our prayers is that the Lord will comfort the families left behind. But I want to encourage you. Be part of it. Make sure you are up. Don't join at 5.30, join at 5 a.m. Be steered up to pray. Let's push together. God is building a people of power. God is building a people of praise who will march through the land by spirit, who will glorify his precious name. So we're saying, build your church, Lord. Make us strong, Lord. Fill our cities with your presence. Oh, Lord, my God, with the knowledge of your glory as the waters covers the sea. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, as we go into your word, let the entrance of your word bring forth light and understanding to the simple. Reveal. Lord, open eyes to see. Let there be insight. Let there be revelation. That will bring revolution. Let there be, oh Lord my God, insight that will bring transformation. Take us from where we are where we ought to be in you. Lord, I pray that no one, no one under the sound of my voice will leave this place the same way in the name of Jesus. Thank you, wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And everybody said, Amen. This morning I'll continue in what I started last week on fulfilling the kingdom mandate, the operating system of the kingdom. I repeat, fulfilling the kingdom mandate, the operating system of the kingdom. Uh, we've been talking about the kingdom of God for quite a while now. This will be probably part 12 of the series on the fulfilling the mandate, of fulfilling the kingdom mandate. And we will continue because the kingdom message is so vital, especially in this particular season that we are in. Jesus started preaching the message of the kingdom and he concluded the ministry talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, before he ascended to heaven, he was speaking to the disciples about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we will continue in our discourse, even as we continue to look at the various aspects of the kingdom, because the time is now. The time is now for manifesting the kingdom. No more delay, no more hindrance. We are the now church, and the time is now. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we operate in the kingdom of God? And as kingdom citizens, it's essential that we have a clear understanding of how to operate the kingdom, or how to manifest the kingdom. Because many times, a lot of believers, those who belong to God's kingdom, we are not manifesting the kingdom. And therefore, we are not experiencing the power, the presence, the blessings of the kingdom. But that is not the will of God for you and I. 
God wants us to experience it. God wants us to manifest it. And that is why we've been looking at all of these various aspects of the kingdom. You know, and I trust God that you will manifest. The time has gone that people are playing church. The time is gone that you just say, okay, let me just go there and add to the number. In fact, the time is gone when we are excited about many people, many seats, people occupying seats. There's no point having thousands occupying seats and there's no impact at all of the word of God in people's lives. God wants you to what? Be imparted so that you can make an impact. Amen. In your generation. And I'm trusting God for you that you will make the impact in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were looking at the, you know, the, the keys to operating, you know, the uh, operating in the kingdom of God or the keys or, or the operating system of the kingdom. And I took you to Genesis chapter 1. From verse number 26, where God spoke, the Bible says, and God said, Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image, and according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, you find there what I called God's mission statement to man at the very beginning, the very first chapter of the Bible. God was making clear to his man, his mind, his heart, his purpose, his mission, his plan for this man. And he said, let us, meaning the entire Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, coming together, said, let us make man in our image. Let this man carry our image and according to our likeness. And I remember I mentioned last week that the word image is the word demot, and it means simply this, the essence, the essential nature, and the essential characteristic of God. I'll repeat that when God created this man, or when God made this man, God wanted this man to carry his very essence, his essential nature, and his characteristic. God wanted this man to carry his characteristic. And the Lord said to me, he said to me, you know, he said, when I said that, I wanted man to carry my DNA, my DNA, my essence, my essential characteristic, and my word, my nature, my essential nature. And he said that DNA is to reflect man's relationship to his creator. And the key, which I mentioned last week, the key to manifesting the kingdom, the key to operating in the kingdom, the key to experiencing the kingdom, the key to be an ambassador of the kingdom is your relationship with God. Amen. The relationship with God. How is your relationship with God? I remember we went further. We looked at all of this. But today, I want us to go into how to develop that relationship. How do you develop the relationship? I mentioned last week, you can't even start to talk about relationship if you're not born again. This is not about religion at all. 
The word religion is the word is the Latin word religio, which means return to bondage. So we can't, we're not talking about returning to bondage here. He said, the Father has been the one at work in my life. <laughs> that even the things you see, these things have not just been happening because I can just conjoy it and then just say, kill okay, this thing be done, even though he was God the Son. They didn't know that. But even though he was the son of God, it was God the son. He said, no, it was the father at work in my life. He acknowledged the father. Let me say this. This is so important. Very, very important. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's so important that we acknowledge him. I love it the way, you know, Abraham did it. In the book of Romans chapter number 4, from verse number 18. Romans 4, from verse number 18. It reads, and I quote, Romans 4, from verse number 18. Find the experience of Abraham here. Uh, who against hope in hope believe? Who against natural hope? He believed in what? Divine hope. Somebody says, I need a miracle now. Then you are in the right place. Because miracle is his own natural turf. Miracle is what he specializes in. Because at this time, Abraham's body was dead. Sarah's womb was gone. You find old papa and old mama trusting God for a child is a combination that cannot produce in the natural. So who, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many. I love it in NIV. In NIV it says, against all hope, he believed in hope and he became the father. Against all hope, thank you. Abraham believed in hope and so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him. So which means that when you are trusting God for something that looks impossible, when you are trusting God for, her, for something that looks in the natural impossible, it's time for you to start to believe in hope. How do you believe in hope? Believe in the word that he has given to us. Hope creates expectation. Start to believe that the word he gave to you, start to believe in the word, start to declare the word, start to trust in the word. For the past few days, one of the emphasis of the Lord to me as I pray, he still said the same thing to me this morning. He said, my people don't believe my word. He said, they don't believe my word. And it was like, Lord, he said, yes, if they do, it will reflect in their words and their actions. Because if you truly believe the word, you will act in that in like manner. You can't say you believe the word and you're not doing anything about it. He said, my people don't believe in you. In fact, he asked me a question. He said, when would people start to believe my word? When will they start to believe my word? When will you start to hold that word as the final authority in your life? When will you start to embrace that word? When in spite of contrary situations, challenges, and everything like that, you are holding the word as a flag up. 
that yes, the, the circumstances might not be looking at it, but I believe the world. God wants to confirm his word, not in the life of doubters, but in the lives of believers. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So he became what he was believed. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse number 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since it was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He, didn't deny, he was not living in denial. He didn't say that, look, my body. No, no, no. He faced the fact. He looked at his body, which was dead, and they started prophesying to that body. You need to look at your account. Maybe the account is looking dead. And instead of putting it and facing it and complaining about it, why don't you start to do what Abraham did? Is there anything that is dead right now? Anything that looks as if this thing is completely gone? No hope. Can you start to do what Abraham did? He faced that fact. He wasn't living in denial. He didn't say the thing wasn't existing. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And not only that, Sarah's womb was also what? Dead. The two of them were deader than dead. But there's someone that what they were connected to that was not dead, but who is alive. My God is alive. My God is alive. My God is alive. I will boast of my God. I want you to know that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. Oh yes, he is alive. Jesus is alive. Oh yes, the situation might look dead. The challenge might look impregnable. The mountains might look like a mount of Gibraltar. But as long as you are connected to Jesus who is alive, is able to turn impossibilities into possibility. God, that is his specialty. That is what he loves to do. That's why he's called a miracle-working God. Verse number 20. No, 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. At this point, I want to just address the situation. If you trust in God for healing in your body, if you trust in God for healing in that situation, if you're trusting God for healing regarding that relationship, Start to believe the word that God has given to you and that God is giving to you right now. Start to believe Abraham looked at his body that was dead and Sarah's womb that was dead. And what did he do? He did not, he faced the fact and he did not waver through unbelief. He held on to the promise of God. And he kept on doing what? Giving glory to God. Why don't you look at that body and start to lay hands on it and say, Lord, I thank you. Because this body is recovering. This body is healed. This relationship is healed. Give glory to God. Acknowledge the power and the presence of God to turn the situation around. What was Abraham doing? He kept giving glory to God. 
The Bible says he gave glory to God. You know, if you look at the Amplifier, he kept giving glory to God. Meaning that it wasn't just one day that he gave glory to God and then the situation turned around. He continued to do it. He persisted in doing it. He kept giving glory to God. He kept giving glory to God. He would look at his body. He kept giving glory to God. You know, Jesus acknowledged the fact that he was God at work. You know, learn to give glory to God. Give glory to God concerning the situation. Give glory to God. Let it be known that this is God at work. We are thankful for people that God has used in our lives. We're thankful because we can't just say, no, 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 it's, a, no, it's, it's just about, yes, it's about God, but God will not come down. God will use people. So don't just treat people anyhow. When God has used somebody to be a blessing to you, somebody to encourage you, someone, don't just discard and say, no, 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 it's it just, no. God does not want you to treat people like that because relationship is not just vertical. Relationship is both vertical and what? Horizontal. Vertical connecting you to God and horizontal connecting you to what? To people, one another. The two of them are important. Is the picture of the cross. That is why he died on the cross. That number one, you are connected to God. Number two, be connected to your brethren. Appreciate what God is using them to do in your life. Be thankful to them. But we'll give the glory to who? To God. And then verse 21. He now says what? Being fully persuaded that God, that God had what? Power to do what he had promise. He became fully persuaded and what happened eventually he experienced what God had promised. So Jesus acknowledged the Father. He said, our Father he was giving the glory to God. This is about the Father at work. This is the Father that is performing this. This is the Father that is doing this. I'm sure he will have caught the attention. Three dimensions. Number two, Jesus said, our Father I mentioned this last week. He didn't say my father. He said our father. Meaning the relationship he had with God. That he was calling the father in front of the disciples. Was not just an exclusive one. But an inclusive one. Because before now. Israel did not know God as father. They only knew God as what? God. In fact. We don't have any record in the Old Testament that God was referred to as Father by any of the Old Testament saints. They, they knew God to an extent. They worshiped God to an extent. They referred to him as God, and they prayed to him as God. But they didn't have that relationship that God has, you know, that Jesus came and gave to us as New Testament saints. So they didn't know God as Father. So Jesus said, our what? Father. Our Father. Amen. Not exclusive, but inclusive. That whatever relationship I had with the Father is also what? Available to all of you. He is our Father. Not just my Father. In fact, the word Father came up in the Synoptic Gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke, 64 times. The word 
used in the Synoptic Gospel 64 times, and in the Gospel of John over 100 times. And of course, you know John the Beloved, the relationship he had with Jesus. Over 100 times, God being called, God being referred to as the Father. So today, God can also be your Father. Amen. Somebody said, I don't have a natural father. But you have God as your word, heavenly father. And if you are connected to him truly as a heavenly father, he will connect you to people who will be like a spiritual father to you. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, our word, father. And I want to say, show you something which I didn't mention last week. I said three key things. Let's go there. Thank you. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he acknowledged the workings of the Father. And then he went to a time just, you know, praising God, still acknowledging the Father. Before Jesus now said what? In verse 10, he now said, Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So before going to asking God for bread, asking God for daily provisions, asking God for the resources, he first of all acknowledged the workings of the Father. Today, we always begin by saying, Lord, this problem I'm going through, oh Lord my God, come and do it. You know, why don't you follow the pattern that Jesus had given to us by one, acknowledging the, the Father, number two, just Praise him, thank him, bless him. You know, remind him of the good thing that he has done for you. Tell him, Lord, you have done this in the past. You have done this, you have been so faithful, you've been so good. This situation also, I know you are going to sort it out. Before Jesus started asking for the daily bread, he first of all acknowledged the Father. Acknowledged the goodness of the Father. Telling the disciples that this is the working of the Father. You know, so, and it's the same way with us today. Do it the way Jesus did it so that we can also what, get the results that Jesus got. Amen. Because if you do it your own way you want to, and you want to get the result that he got, it does not work like that. You are what? O-Y-O and it's called what? On your own. You are going on a frolic of your own. Do it the way he did it, and then you get the results. But I want to take you further. I want to show you someone in the Old Testament. His life, prayer life, was also equally outstanding. He lived a life of the New Testament in the Old Testament. No matter the situation you are facing, no matter the challenge you are facing, if you learn to apply some of these things that God is teaching us, you will break through. I have absolute confidence in God, the Father, that he will give you the breakthrough that he gave his own who followed the same pattern that he gave to us through Jesus. Let me take you to David. This happened in the Old Testament. But this man was so outstanding that up till today, you still find, in fact, many scriptures, you still find God acknowledging David as his own, as his shepherd, as the example for us to follow. And let me take you to 2 Samuel chapter 7. The prayer life 
of David. And I want to show you again three essential components in his prayer lives. Second Samuel chapter 7 from verse number 1. Second Samuel 7 verse number 1. It reads, and I quote, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. Verse 2, Then the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now I dwell in the house of Cedar, but the ark of God dwells in inside tent curtains. This is a discourse between David the king, Nathan the prophet, and God the father. David the king, Nathan the prophet, and God. Verse number two, the king said to, look at it. The king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar. My house is so beautiful, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. It's good to have a beautiful house. It's good to have a house of cedar, but are you concerned that the ark of God is still dwelling inside tent curtains? That is why as a church, we want to also give a beautiful place to the God that we serve. Uh, many times we are just interested in our own. About his own house too. Are you concerned about his own house? Verse number three. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Then verse 4. But it happened that that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell servant, my servant David, thus says the Lord, Will you build a house for me to dwell in? Verse 6. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt. Even to this day, we have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Verse 7. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribe of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, he kept on saying, my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the shepherd, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I have made you a great name. Like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. This is one of the scriptures that God gave us for our new church building. He said, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I remember in January this year, when I went to pray in that place, I laid my hands on the plate the build, and God said to me, ownership transfer, transfer of ownership. It will declare the end from the beginning. That's the way God works, declare the end from the beginning. And I've been holding on to that word. That's the way, you know, God will speak a word to you. He will declare it. He spoke to the, the disciples. Jesus, he said, let us cross over, what? To the other side. You know, he said that. Did he know there would be a storm? Absolutely. But he knew that the word was what? Strong enough. Storms will bow to the word that is believed. That when you believe it, when you declare it, you cannot be denied. Say, so I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will do what? Plan, I will plant them there. God said, I will plant them there, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Verse 11. 
Since the time that I've commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I've caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Did God do that? Is David still alive today? Absolutely none. But is the throne of David established forever? Absolutely. Because Jesus came from the tribe of what? From the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. And he remains the king of kings forever. Nobody can dethrone him. You can't vote him out. You can't. Oh, someone said, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Oh, yes. There's a, there, there are two ways that you bow before the king. You either do it willingly or you are forced to do it. You know, it's better to do it willingly. We don't want anybody. God is not interested in the death of a sinner. But if you reject him, you are laying the foundation for eternal rejection for your soul. It shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse number 14. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of his sons of men. Verse number but is my mercy shall never depart from him, as I took him from took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established again, what? Forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Verse 17. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Now let's go to the next verse 18. David's thanksgiving to God. Verse number 18. Then King David went, remember, Nathan was a prophet. David was the king. The king had the final authority over everything at that time. Now imagine the king wanting to build a house and said, and Nathan had already told him, go and do. Because he shared it with Nathan. It was the prophet. It was almost as saying, please pray along with me, prophet Nathan. I would like to do this for my God. And Nathan said, yeah, that's a good thing. Why don't you go ahead and do it? You know, but now God said, Nathan, that was your own assumption. <laughs> this is exactly my will for David. Now go and tell him that he will not be the one to build the house. But he said he will be the one to build the house. If supposing for a second, imagine that that was Saul. Saul, Nathan will not leave the palace with his head still resting on his body. That how can who how can you dare to come and tell me the king that will not be the one to be? No wonder he didn't last. But listen to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord? Number one thing. Remember three essential components of the life of you know, I'm going somewhere. Who am I, O Lord God? A heart of humility. Can you be told by God, don't do that? How do you respond? Can God, can God's servant, can God's prophet tell you, stop that, don't do that. So who are you to, to, to talk to me? Who are you to talk to me? I, I, I'm a man of myself. Nobody can say anything to me. Oh, Saul did that. He ended badly. But look at the response of David to God apparently deny him. What glory? Because uh, will he have been 
for it to be David building the house. What glory will it have been that, oh, I build the, house, the very first one. I built the temple for the Lord. I took the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle, and now I'm building. But God said, no, 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 you're not going to do it. And David said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this? Would this be the response of many? Can God say, sit down there, and will you sit down there? Can God speak to you through his servant and say, don't do that? Will you obey? Will you obey? Can you be corrected? Can you be corrected? Can God correct you? And you say, no, 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 no. No, if, if anybody can, you can't talk to me. But look at the rest, look at the heart of David. Look at the heart of David. Relationship is a heart-to-heart connection. There can't be relationship when hearts are not connected. And that must involve you being willing to take correction. You've been willing to allow God to say, don't do that. And it's not all the time that will come to you in your place of prayers. He will speak to you like he's speaking to you now and say, don't do that. How will you take it? How will you take it? David said, well, my old Lord, what is my house that you have brought me this far? Verse 19. And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. You have also spoken of your, sub, sub, of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord? 20. Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. Now, you find from verse 21, and I'll continue to read. You find something there. David now acknowledging God by his unyielding commitment to God. Look at the things you have done. Let's read. For your word's sake and according to your own heart. You have done all these great things to make your servant know that. 22. Therefore you are great, Lord God, for there is none like you. Is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears? Let's continue. And who is like your people? Like Who is like your people? Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds. For your land before your people, whom you redeem for yourself, from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made what? Your people Israel, your very own. Your very own. And your own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. 25. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken to your servant, concerning his house, establish his for. Can you see God, David, acknowledging God? In the same way that Jesus acknowledged the Father, that God, you've been so good. You've been so good to me. You've been so good to your people. Who is like unto you? That is somebody that just been refused. Somebody that God says, sit down, don't do it. Look at the response. Look at the response of David. No, 25. We now said, now, oh Lord God. The word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning is out, establish it forever as you have said. 26. So let your name be what? Magnified. Forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. 
Therefore, your servant has found it in his word, in his heart, to pray this prayer for you. You can see here, David's desire to pray from the heart of the Father. You can't pray from the Father's heart if you don't have, or if you're not building your relationship with him. Because he will speak to you in your heart. This is different from just going to God with a shopping list and say, do this, do this, do this, do this. But by the time you go to him, you're pressing him, you're acknowledging him, you're worshiping him, he will start to lead you. He will start to reveal to you what is in his heart. And you are praying from his heart back to him. This is a prayer that can never be refused. Stop praying what? Prayerless prayer. What is prayerless prayer? Prayer that originates from just, I want this, I want that, I want this. You are not Oliver Twist, you know, that's always wanting this or wanting that, you know. You need to start to pray and say, Lord, what exactly is in your heart? What is in your heart? Because and be, as it be your relationship with him, even before you ask him, start to reveal to you concerning that, do it this way, concerning that, do it that way, concerning that, do it that way. I was talking to one of us, and I really thank God for his life. You know, I'm not sure whether he's listening, but I trust God that he's listening. And there was something that was going to give him a, a big advantage. A big advantage yesterday, and he called me. And he said, you know, that I want to share with you. I was discussing with this particular person. What do you want? Why don't you do this that will bring to you this big advantage? And I said, well, um, we have never really, really looked. Uh, have, he said, have, you, have, have we done that before? I said, no, we have not, never really, really done that before. And as I was talking, to, because we have never done that before, I didn't know exactly what, you know, and I said, this is this and this and this and this and this is what this person has said. And I said, hmm. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, don't, he said, this, don't do it that way. Do it, don't do it that way, you know, unless the grain of what? First to the ground. Yeah, wheat, grain of wheat, first to the ground, and that, it remains what? Don't go back and start to what? And start to open up that which you have already planted. It was so clear, and I said to the person, this is what the Lord had just said to me, and said, that settles it. You know, that settles it. When he asked me, I didn't know. It wasn't clear to me, but the Father came and gave us his heart. And I'm so thankful to God the way he received it, because that would have given him a natural advantage. But the Father said, no, don't do it that way. Let me be your reward. And he obeyed that. And how can that person not be blessed? How can it? Now, maybe in some months to come, in the year to come, Two years ago, and the person is not saying, look at what God did. And people say, but how come? How is God doing? Oh, you don't know something that has been happening behind the scene. The heart, sometimes people have. When somebody's going to give you a lot of advantage, and God says, don't do it. Ah. Somebody say, well, God is saying, oh, no. Uh, I, I'm gone already. You know? They will, people don't even bother to ask God, should I do it this way? Should I not do it that way? They've, they've gone. They've taken off. They've taken off. It's not all that glitters that is gold. It's not all that glitters that is gold. We are not led by opportunities. We are led by God. We are led by God. 
let God be your gold. I said, let God be your gold. It's a gold that is not, that this gold will not be gold-plated. It's one that will endure forever because it does not forget. It's a God that rewards, especially when you obey him. Look at David. This man was in the Old Testament, but look at his heart. Look at his heart for the Father. Look at his heart for God. He was in the Old Testament, but living a life of the New Testament in the Old. He was concerned. He said, Lord, I will only pray. This thing that if your servant has found in your heart is the prayer I will pray. That is what is called relationship. Hello. It's called what? Relationship. Relationship is connecting to the heart of the Father. Knowing what is in the heart of the Father. Praying what is in the heart of the Father. Relationship is the key. Is the currency of the Spirit. The currency of the Spirit. The reason why people struggle so much is because of lack of what? Relationship. Because when you are not connected to his heart, when you don't know what the Father is saying, when you're not willing to do what the Father is saying, how do you want him to now confirm his word in your life? Relationship is the operating system of the kingdom. When you start to develop your relationship, then you will experience him. Now, I want to share with you three levels of relationship. Three levels of relationship. I will introduce this and I will build it up next week. Three levels of relationship. Number one is called discipleship. Number one, discipleship. Discipleship. Three levels of relationship. The number one is discipleship. Who is a disciple? Jesus called his followers disciples in Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. Let's go there. In Luke chapter 6 verse 40. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 10 verse 1. At the beginning of their he called them what? Disciples. And when he had called his twelve what? Disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirit to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Discipleship. Let's go to Luke chapter 6 verse 40. Luke chapter 6 verse 40. What does it say? Luke 6 40. Chapter 6, verse number 4. A disciple. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So who is a disciple? The word disciple is from the Greek word matetes. So what does that mean? It means to learn. It means to understand. It means to be trained. It means to be an adherent follower. I'll repeat. It means if you're a disciple, you're someone that is learning. So that means if you're not learning, you're not a disciple. Number two, you're understanding. Number three, you're being what? Trained. Number four, you are an adherent follower. I said the word is matitis, which means one who is studying under the tutelage of another. So the disciples of Jesus were studying under his tutelage. So when God makes you or you enter into a relationship of discipleship, you have been trained also. Uh, in our church, we have what is called the apostolic training school. Is our discipleship, uh, that is our, our discipleship program. 
to raise disciples after the Lord. So people have been trained to follow the Lord. And I really trust God. I thank God. I was with them this morning. I thank God for them. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you have not gone through that, go through the program. The Apostolic Training School is to help you to become a disciple. And sometimes people go through it, they just go through it really quickly, quickly. That's not the, the purpose of it. It's not just to know the letters. It's to be able to carry the Spirit. Because you can read the thing and read the manual and read these and then even pass very well. But if you're not carrying the Spirit, then you may not experience what is there. Praise the name of the Lord. In the light of the New Testament, the word means, does not just mean someone who is attending a school or somebody who is, who is a pupil, because that's what I was trying to say there, but someone who is an adherent, who accepts the instruction given to him and makes that instruction the final, the rule, part of the rule of his conduct. So the person is not just, is not just, oh yes, hearing after you've heard, oh, what a message. And you put it back, you drop it, it is not making an impact. No, no, no. If you're a true disciple, the word that you hear from him, the word that God is speaking to you, sometimes God will speak you know, to you directly, sometimes it will speak through in messages like you go back. Lord, this word, I, I want to further understand it. Is there anything? You are, you, are, you are interacting with him. You have been trained to be a disciple. Amen. Praise God. Number two. First level is discipleship. Number two is partnership. Partnership. This is another level of relationship. Partnership. Who is a partner? A partner is one who shares in responsibilities and burdens with others. A partner is one who shares the responsibilities and the burdens of others necessary, you know, to accomplish a particular assignment. A partner is sharing the responsibilities and the burden of others. You know, by being a partner does not necessarily translate into an intimate relationship. Thank God that we can be disciples. Number two, partners. And God wants us to partner with him. That's why he called us co-laborers with him. So we are partnering with him, you know, to accomplish his purpose, his plans on the face of the earth. Now imagine, I said three levels. How many people are even disciples? Not talk of now becoming partners. Somebody who is not a disciple cannot even be a partner. You must first of all be a disciple. You are following, you are being trained, then you become a partner. When you are a partner, what touches God will touch your heart. Because you are laboring with him. His word will, will matter to you. When God wants to accomplish something, it, will be, it becomes your responsibility. You carry it. And you're willing to do everything to accomplish that particular, that particular purpose. That's a partner. And when you are partnering with him, you know what? That means that what is available to him, he makes available to you. And again, I'll take you to David, where this was introduced for the very first time in scriptures. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter number 30. 
First Samuel chapter number 30, uh, from verse number 1. And then we'll go to, yes, First Samuel 30, verse number 1. It reads, and I quote, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it. Ziklag was the headquarters of David at this time. He was not yet king. So he was in Ziklag with some of his men. And the enemy came, the Amalekites came, burned it down, destroyed it, took their women, took their wives, took their children. They, they're taking captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse number three. So David and his men came to the city, and there, were, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Verse number four. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. When their wives were gone, all their children were gone. Verse number five. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Verse number six. But now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were, they were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, look at some of the things that's made this man so, that has put him in such a, a special place in the heart of the father. Verse number seven. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the effort here to me. And Abiathar brought the effort to David. The effort representing what? Presence, the presence of God. They didn't have the spirit of God inside of them to look to, but they had the effort representing the presence of God. David, before David did anything, rush here, rush there, he consulted the presence of God. Please bring the effort here to me. And Abiathar brought the effort to David, verse number eight. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fear. Recover all. That was the word of the Lord. Let's go to verse 18. So, let's go to verse 18. Verse so David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and rescued his two wives according to the word of the Lord. Or maybe, you know, before this time, there were some of the men who didn't want to, some, you know, some were willing to go. Maybe we should go to, let's go back to about verse 11 so that we can capture everything that happened there. So they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread. He ate and they let him drink water. Verse 12. So they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread and not drunk water for three days and three nights. Verse 13. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong? Where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion, verse 14, of the southern area of Church. Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burnt Ziglag with fire. And then David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me to the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread, they were spread out over the entire land, eating, drinking, dancing because of all the grace poured. We they are taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Verse 17. Then David attacked them on twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. 
What did David act upon? The word of the Lord. Verse 18 now. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great. Sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they are taking from them. David recovered all according to the word of the Lord. Verse 20. Then David took out the flocks and herds. They are driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weird because not all, not all of them went with David. There were 600 men. 200 couldn't go because they were tired. They were weary. But 400 went. They were so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezer. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men. David didn't call them that. The scriptures call them that. The wicked and worthless men. Of those who went with David answered and said, Why are you greeting them? They didn't go with us. We are not going to give them any spoil that we have recovered. Except for every man. Take your wife. We don't even need your wife anyway. Is it not your wife? You can take your wife. You can have your children that they may lead them away and depart. Look at David. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us? Look at David. Who gave them the victory? He said, the Lord gave us this victory. Then if the Lord gave us the victory, you can't then deal with people this way. 24. For who will heed you in this matter? But as is what? Part is who goes down to battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share what? Alike. Verse 25. So it was from that day forward. He made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. And he came to Ziklag and he gave the spoils to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. He made it an ordinance so that those who are staying at home, those who are praying, those who are all, that they will share alike. That this partnership has become what an ordinance in the kingdom of God. God wants us to partner with him so that we can share alike in the grace of God. We can share alike in the grace available because sometimes God will give grace to his servants. God will pour his grace to his prophet. And then the grace of God, and you, you know, as you partner with him, as you partner with what God is doing, that grace imparts your life. And it's so important also that when we do that, God releases grace upon us so that we can enjoy, we can be a partaker of what God is doing. Number one, discipleship. Number two, partnership. Then number three, this is actually the best. Thank God for being a disciple. Thank God for being a partner. But this is actually what God wants from every one of us. It's called what? Can't. Can somebody tell me? Hello. I've told you, disciple. I've told you. Would you be the third one? It's called friendship. Friendship. This is the thought. Is the best. Is the highest form of relationship. Friendship with God. When you become a friend of God. When you are called by him as his friend. 
Only one person was called a friend in the entire Old Testament. Abraham. Called a friend of God. Referred to as a friend of God. Praise the name of the Lord. And in the new, Jesus eventually called his disciples his friend. Let's go to, you know, the book of Isaiah. Or maybe I should, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want us to see there where God himself called Abraham his friend. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Are you there? Yes. Chapter 20. Are we there? 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And from verse 7. Are you not our God? Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? That is, you know, they were praying as if they called Abraham. Abraham was referred to as a friend of God. Let's go to Isaiah 41, verse number 8. Isaiah 41, verse number 8. No wonder it was so outstanding. We started looking at his example. Isaiah 41, verse number 8. He said, But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. This is God himself testifying about Abraham, my friend. My friend. God wants us to become his friend. Are you a friend of God? When you have a friend, what do you do with the friend? Do you treat your friend anyhow? Do you care about your friend? But when we call people our friend, you want to spend time with them, isn't it? You want to talk to the person. You want to share with the person. When you have a special testimony or something, oh, I need to call my friend and share this. Oh, come on here, come on here, what could I do? Do you know the same way God wants you to be his friend? God wants you to be his friend. Somebody say from today now, in Jesus' name, I'm a friend of God. No, it's not just by saying from today, the name of you are a friend of God. No, when Jesus called the disciples his friend, he didn't call them his friend. At the beginning, let me show you, John chapter 2. John chapter 2. The book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. From verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was him. He knew they were not reliable. He knew he could not rely on them. He knew he could not trust them that much at that point. He knew they were just getting to know each other. So it wasn't just that, oh, the moment you see somebody today and somebody smile, oh, this is my friend. And I know some, you know, sometimes, especially when you are young, everybody is your friend. This person, my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend. No. Friendship is a relationship that is built and established with trust. It's not just somebody, oh, yes, maybe the person smiles at you or the person, oh, yes, but no, 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 no. Jesus did not call the disciple his friend at the beginning. But John 15, let's go to John 15, 16, and I will close there. John 15, the book of John, 
chapter number 15, and we start to read from verse 14. John 15. You are my what? Friends, if you do whatever I command you. Talking to them and also to us today. No longer do I call you what? Servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I have had from my father, I've made known to you. He said, you are my friend. If you what? Verse 14. You are my friend if you do whatever I command you. Meaning that after a while, he's taking them on a journey. He's seen the way he responded. They've, they've been responding. Remember how he rebuked Peter? Peter didn't walk away. Peter didn't leave the, the flock. Peter stayed there. And Peter had been proven. So many times also they've been presented. Now, I think you are attending to something now. You are becoming my friend. And you'll be my friend if you do whatever I command you. And then he now said, verse 15. Look at it. Verse 15. No longer do I call you what? Servant. For a servant does not know. That's the difference. But I have called you friend. For all things that I've heard from my father. What is in the heart of the father that is revealed to me? I've also been revealing them to you because you are now my friends. I will conclude by taking to Psalm 25, verse number 25. I don't know about you. I want to be a friend of God. Psalm 25, verse number what? 14. Maybe we should read from verse number 12. Psalm 25, verse number 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Verse 13. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his word, his covenant. Now let me read it to you from the Message Bible. From the Message Bible. Verse 4, just verse 14 now. God's friendship are for God's worshippers. Oh, thank you. Is it, can you even see here? God's friendship is for God's worshippers. They are the ones he confides in. Meaning that when you are a friend of God, he confides in you. But God's friendship are for God's worshippers. They are the ones he confides in. Let me read verse 14 also from the Revised Standard Version. RSV. If we have that, we can also display that. RSV version. Verse 14. I love it in this version. RSV. The friendship of the Lord are for those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord are for those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Wow. God's friendship are for God's worshippers. God's friendship are for those who fear him. God wants to be our friend. That is the highest form of relationship. And next week, I'll start to take us to how to develop this friendship. But note it. You can't even be a friend of God if you're not a disciple. You can't become a friend without being a partner with him. But when you have been his disciple, when what he does touches your heart, when you are concerned for what is in his heart, then you are positioning yourself to be his friend. And even without asking, when there's danger ahead, you know, God is so committed to his friend, he doesn't joke with his friend. He will intervene when he sees danger ahead. 
to ensure that they do what? They do not, they are not, the enemy does not just destroy them. God cares and God loves his friend. That's why it's so important for you to develop your relationship with him so that you too can become the friend of God. You can't afford to just be there and then just, oh yes, thank God, be a disciple and then become a partner and then but become a friend of God by building that relationship. Somebody says, how do I do that? Then don't miss this message next week as I continue to build on relationship, the currency of the spirit, the operating, what? The operating system of the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Tell him yourself, Lord, I would like to be your friend. Teach me. Show me. Take me through. I've heard your word this morning. I've heard your word today. And Lord, I would like to be your friend. Father, in the name of Jesus, you talk to the Lord right now. If you're not born again, first of all, invite him to come into your heart. To make you, to make him in your life. Your Lord and your Savior. Because that's where the beginning is. You can't say, I've been going to church for many years. Yes, I'm not. No, it's not about attending church. It's not about going to church. It's about making Jesus your Lord and your Savior. Invite him into your heart. Make him your Lord. Make him your Savior. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just want to thank you for your word to us this morning, this day. And Lord, as many as are desirous of building their friendship, becoming your friend, Lord, I pray, take them, reveal to them, show them, lead them, guide them. Oh, Lord, my God, on, in this day, I walk with you so that they can truly become your friend. And Lord, as you promised, you said, your secrets are for those who are your friends. That your, your secrets are for those who are your worshippers, who are your friends. Father, in the name of Jesus, reveal to them those secrets that they desire. Take them into the inner cocoon of the spirit and open the dimensions of the spirit to them. Help them to see what others are unable to see. Open their heart to know. Open their ears to hear the vibrations of heaven and what you're saying in the now so that they can pick it and run with it. Make the difference in their life. Display them. Use them to advertise your word. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Can we shout? Amen. Praise God. Start to desire to be the friend of God. Start to be desirous of it. And not just pray it today, pray it now, and then you forget about it. Tell him, I want to be your friend. I prayed that prayer for, for, for a while. You know, uh, in a particular season, telling him I would like to be your friend. Telling him I would like to be your friend. Many times we invest so much in human friendship. And human friendship is good. He wants us to be connected to one another. But it will not work when you are not connected to him. When you are not building your relationship with him. Amen. <laughs>